0: Put on the full armour of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith so that i will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains pray that i may declare it fearlessly as i should tychicus the dear brother and faithful servant in the lord will tell you everything so that you will also so that you also may know how i am and what i am doing i'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from god the father and the lord jesus christ grace to all who love our lord jesus christ and with undying love amen great shall we
1: pray together loving lord god when i fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he would hold me fast he will hold me fast he will hold me fast for my saviour loves me so he will hold me fast amen great well um good morning really good to see you all here this morning a particularly warm welcome if you're a visitor. And also it's really great to have one or two of our church members who aren't always able to be here, who are here with us this morning, are very welcome and it's great to have you here uh, today. Um, We come to the end of Ephesians, we're in the last chapter, the last little bit, and uh, this is the last uh, of our little series in Ephesians before we move into Advent and Christmas and then something completely new in the new year. But I hope you've enjoyed uh, all that we've been doing together as we've looked at this passage. Uh, I thought I'd do a little summary of Ephesians so far, just to sort of bring you up to speed, um, so you know where we've come. Uh, I've got one summary for people who are wordy, and then if you're not wordy, I've got some pictures for people who like pictures. Here we go. It's a full summary. The the black is just the titles we've given the talks, but the red is kind of um, a little simpler. So I'll just give you a second just to read through that, because it will remind you where we've been. Just have a read of the red. If, uh, if you're listening online, um, this PowerPoint, I hope you'll go online so you'll be able to uh, just see whatever else has been reading in the moment of silence. And um, that's really a little picture of where we've been in Ephesians. But if you prefer pictures, here we go. Um, Jesus Christ and all that he's given us in the gospel, that's us on the right and uh, him on the left. Jesus Christ and all he's given us in the gospel changes us when you come to understand the gospel. And when the gospel changes you, you will grow to love him more and want to reach out to other people and love them. There you go, that's a bit simpler, isn't it? There's Ephesians um, in a very, very simplified form. But really, what we've been looking at is the gospel comes into our hearts, it transforms us on the inside, and then it causes us to want to respond. So repeatedly I've been saying the first three chapters, it's the gospel, what Christ has done, and then the last three chapters, the response. Not trying to be good, but responding to what Christ has done. And really that gets to the heart of what the letter of Ephesians is all about. That's a little picture. But as you come to our our passage, do you notice verse 10? uh, It says there, finally. Now that's not Paul sort of with an afterthought. By the way, I'm just going to give you a few afterthoughts that you could take or leave. They're not very important. What he's really saying is, uh, in light of everything I've been teaching you, everything I've told you in the previous chapters, this now sort of brings a lot of it together and is really, really important for you. So this isn't an afterthought. It's absolutely crucial uh, as we leave this letter. And what he's talking about, as Neil has unpacked with the children's talk, is that you and I, if we're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, are in a spiritual battle. I think that's particularly interesting, if you remember what we looked at last week, it was all about relationships, wasn't it? We live out the Christian life in relationship with other people, and it's often in those relationships which we find difficult. It's there where the devil seeks to get in and disrupt us and cause disunity. And so it's no surprise that after a chapter all about relationships, the next chapter is all about spiritual warfare because that is the realm in which these battles are fought, humanly speaking, on, on earth. So just to get us into the theme of this little last bit of Ephesians 6, I'm going to put some pictures up on the screen. I want you to tell me what is against the thing that you see. What's the enemy of the gazelle? There we go. Very good. Next one. England rugby. Yes, we had a good victory yesterday. I would have taken that slide out if we lost, but I had faith that we'd win. There we go. England rugby team and the Australians were against us, but luckily we overturned them. What's against mum and dad having a lion in the morning? Some of you are smiling. You haven't had a lion for years. Who's against President Obama? Because they all sorts of people, the whole world. ISIS. Last one. The follower of Jesus Christ, that could be you. <laughs> Satan. That's what this passage teaches. So there's just three things I want to look at in this passage. The first one, though, is this, that Satan is against you remember that phrase we've used repeatedly through the letter if you are in Christ that means if you belong to him if you put your trust in him Satan is against you he hates you just think about that for a moment sometimes we struggle with our idea that Satan is against us because that's the kind of picture we have of the devil some sort of cartoon figure kind of not very nice but kind of funny And that's the kind of picture we have of Satan. And so we think, well, when I hear that Satan is against me, it's not really that big a deal. But you see in verse 12, it talks about our struggle. And the image that is painted there is one of a kind of wrestling match of a man in combat. This isn't a kind of funny picture of the devil. This is real combat, real life situation. And you notice in verse 12, five times in verse 12, you get the word against Do you see it there if you've got your Bible in front of you? Against. Well, who's behind all of that? The answer is Satan is. And he is highly organized. He's highly effective. Just a few verses for you to look at. These are just some verses from the New Testament that describe the devil. I think those descriptions are about as far removed from the kind of comical cartoon figure of the devil as you'll ever get. It's terrifying because he's real and his influence is very real. And then you come to the letter of Ephesians if you just want to narrow it in a little closer. And uh, chapter 2 verse 2 said that the devil is at work in those who are disobedient. And chapter 4 verse 22 Satan wants us to put off put back on our old self remember christ wants us to clothe ourselves in him to be transformed but do you remember a couple of weeks ago i held up those colored bits of um uh, sponges one was dirty one was clean when we've become clean by christ we're the clean one the devil wants us to revert back to our old way of life to put back on all of the the dirt and the wrong that used to characterize our life that is the devil and that is all that he is trying to do Let me encourage you though, um, Satan has been defeated. You go back to chapter 1 of Ephesians, verses 19 to 22. It tells us that Satan has been defeated in the resurrection when Jesus Christ rose again. He has been defeated. But perhaps it's helpful to think of Satan today as like a a fatally wounded animal. He, He knows that he is dead. He knows that his end is to come. But he's sort of kicking really, really hard in these last days before his final destruction. And his target is you and is me. And he's seeking to damage us. And that means that if you're a follower of Christ, you are in his firing line. And I'm in his firing line. Listen to what one writer says. You must understand the evil one hates God, hates anything that reminds him of the glory of God, wherever it exists. Unable to overthrow the mighty one, he turns his sights on those who bear his image. And verse 12, where it talks about the devil's schemes, what the devil will do is he wants to exploit your and my weaknesses. The places where we're vulnerable, and you're probably aware of that, if there's a particular area of your life where you know you keep falling, it's not a surprise, the devil is getting in at those cracks. And where you're weak, you will be strong, but where you're weak, you will be strong. That's what the devil is seeking to do. As, As has often been said, the nearer you stand to your captain the more of a target you become so as you grow as a Christian and as you seek to love the Lord and do more damage for the kingdom of God the spiritual battle that you may face may become stronger that's why it's really important to pray for people on the kind of front line particularly those who are teaching the word of God because the way that the devil gets in discouraging people from hearing the truth is very prevalent that's the first thing Satan is against you but the next thing the passage unpacks is that you are against satan if you are on the, the side of the lord jesus christ you are against satan do you remember back in chapter four the, the verse was do not give the devil a foothold and that's unpacked again in chapter six have a look at verse 10 be strong in the lord and you get it there in verse 13 put on the full armor of god and it goes on so that when the day of evil comes you will be able to to stand your ground. And in verse eleven, twice in verse thirteen and in verse fourteen, you get this word stand. Paul is saying to the Christians in Ephesus, stand your ground. Stand. Stand. And as as, as was described in the children's talk, we have this sort of picture of the Roman soldier. But there's a bit of a danger that we only think of the Roman soldier as we had here, and then think, Well, I've got to be the Roman soldier. I'm against Satan. Let me explain two problems. Particularly if you're a man, you'll be thinking, well, bring it on, because I'm a man, I like a battle, and if Satan wants to fight me, then come on. That's why us men love watching Gladiator and men films like that. There's something in us that love the fight, but we don't fight the battle on our own. Have you seen the emphasis throughout Ephesians? It's a corporate letter. This isn't my battle against Satan. This is our battle against Satan. But notice the second thing. You and I don't stand against Satan by winning the battle on our own. We stand against Satan by grabbing hold of the battle that's already been won. And there's a huge difference. So Satan is against you, you are against Satan, but the most important thing, and that's what we're going to spend most of our time looking at this morning, is this. This passage really teaches you and I to grab hold of Christ and his victory. See, when Paul was teaching this. Yes, he was thinking of the Roman soldiers because they were everywhere and the people in Ephesus would have known what a Roman soldier looks like. They would have respected Roman soldiers. They would have perhaps been fearful of them. He's thinking of the Roman soldier, but actually every one of the aspects every one of the bits of armour that are described in this passage are actually descriptions of God's own character and work. See if you read the book of Isaiah particularly, God is described as a warrior fighting on behalf of his people and when you understand that context that Paul's thinking the Roman soldier yes but he's also looking back he knew his Old Testament well he knows how God is described that completely transforms the way that we read chapter 6 verse 10 doesn't it finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power see Paul is not just saying be strong it's all about you and your fight against the devil he's saying be made strong because you're trusting in the one who's already won the victory it's a really interesting letter chapter 1 and chapter 6 are kind of like two bookends that mirror each other do you remember in chapter 1 that brilliant verse praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ and then you come to chapter 6 where is the spiritual battle fought out? Our struggle is against the heavenly forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the same place where we've been blessed, where Christ has given us everything through his death and resurrection, is the same place where this battle is carried out. Which tells us that it's not ultimately our battle. It's about trusting in the battle that he's already won for us. So when you read this phrase here, be strong, actually it's, Passive. That means it literally means be made strong. There's a big difference. Paul's not saying be a Roman soldier. Yes, there's a battle. Yes, there's certain things that we have to do to resist the devil. We know that. But it's not about be strong. It's about trust the one who's been strong for you. Be made strong. And that's a huge difference. So I want to show you how, as Paul was thinking of the Roman soldier, he was also thinking of the character of God. Just by walking through the different pieces of armour and showing how each one represents god because that will give us great confidence when we go into this battle to keep clinging to him did you see verse 14 stand them with the belt of truth buckled around your waist well the belt as we saw i had to help timothy out but the belt is what normally for someone who's a bit bigger holds you you, you tighten the buckle and it brings all of your weapons close to you it holds your armor in place and paul says you need to put on the belt of truth what's he saying He's saying, keep listening to the voice of God. Keep listening to the voice of God. Do you know there are only three times in scripture where the voice of the Satan is heard? Did you know that? Once is in the garden, where Satan tempts Adam and Eve to not believe in the goodness and truthfulness of God's word. Once is in the book of Job, where Satan asks God, can I go and basically ruin the life of a believer and, and try and undermine his confidence in God? And once is when Jesus Christ is tempted in the wilderness. But each time it's the word of God that's being undermined when the voice of God, the voice of Satan is heard in scripture. You and I need to keep listening to his voice. And so can I challenge you and encourage you, back the integrity of God's word over your intelligence every single time. And if that's a bit of an insult to you or a bit threatening, just go and read Romans chapter 1. Because not only did the, our rebellion against God affect what we do, it also affected the way that we think. God is right every single time. And if you and I disagree with the word of God, we are wrong every single time. Because he doesn't lie, and he doesn't make a mistake. Put the belt of truth around your waist. Listen to his voice. That's what Paul is saying. Then what does he say, verse 14? Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, what does a breastplate do? It covers you. Timothy stood there and the breastplate covered him. Covered the vital organs. Well, what does Satan want to do? He whispers in your ear all the time, trust in your own righteousness. You're good enough. You're strong enough. Keep doing good things and God will be pleased with you. You can do it. That's what the devil whispers all the time. But the breastplate of righteousness is putting on the righteousness that belongs to Christ Himself. Not trusting in our righteousness, but trusting in His righteousness. That's what protects our vital organs. Not our own goodness, but His goodness in our place. What about verse 15? The feet fitted, fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Do you know Roman soldiers had these kind of tough sandals that had kind of studs on the bottom? A little bit like astro boots that you play when you're playing five-a-side or hockey. And they dug into the ground because when the Roman soldiers came together, they dug in their sandals into the floor. And then when the enemy were trying to push against them, they stood firm. That's the picture. Perhaps you're a person who's always having doubts. You just never seem to have peace in your heart. Paul is saying he wants you to have peace. He wants you to be ready. And do you remember what we read at the beginning of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 17? Christ came to preach peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. You and I can be ready to stand against the devil's schemes when we know that peace in our heart that we have with God. Because when you know him and when he's forgiven you, you are in the most secure and safe place you could ever be. And then when you know that peace, then what do you want to do? You want to give it to a lost world. You want to share that peace with those who don't have it. Are your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace? Then the shield of faith. Well, a Roman shield was about four foot tall, about two and a half foot wide. And when you crouched down, this shield was slightly curved. You could hide behind it, particularly when all the soldiers came together. It was a brilliant shield and it covered you. Sometimes they soak the shields in water because when the flaming arrows of the enemy came and they landed in the shield, they were doused by the water and put out. That's why Paul often talks about you know, extinguishing the flames. Well, what does Satan whisper in your ear and in my ear? He whispers all the time, Your protection is your own self reliance. You can protect yourself because you're clever. Because you're wealthy, because you're powerful, because you know stuff. But what is the shield of faith? The shield of faith is putting my trust in Christ. Remember, faith in the Bible is not about the strength of trust that I have in something. It's all about the object or the person in which I put my trust. The shield of faith is shielding myself in all that Christ has done for me. We're nearly there. Helmet of salvation, verse 17. Well, what does a helmet do? We saw it's vital for protection. You'd never go into battle without a helmet on. Well, interestingly, in Isaiah, the helmet is something God does. Salvation is something he gives to his people. In Ephesians, the helmet of salvation is something he gives you. Do you remember that wonderful verse that we heard in the first talk in Ephesians, chapter one, verse four? Uh, God chose us in him before the creation of the world his salvation is a gift that he's given you so where here it says take hold of the helmet of salvation what it really means is receive you could translate translate that word take hold as receive here's the gift of salvation that he's holding out take hold of it take hold of it our salvation is secure if we're trusting in him and lastly, verse 17, he talks about the sword of the spirit. Well, Roman swords were quite short because you had the shield and you held the sword like this in your hand and as you bashed away the enemy, you would use this sort of motion to kill the enemy. It's a short stabbing motion. Well, this is the only bit of armour, as Neil unpacked earlier, that's offensive, that you use in attack. All the rest are to shield you, but this one thing you use in attack. And what is it? It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You cannot separate the Word of God from the Spirit of God. The Word of God only has power when it comes in the power of the Spirit. But together, that is where there is power. It's interesting where Paul says here, the only offensive weapon that you have as a person who's following God in his army is the Word of God coming in the power of the Spirit. And we've got to trust that it's the Word of God... And the Spirit of God that changes lives. Uh, On um, Thursday night this week I'm going down to St Albans to help a friend of mine who's a pastor of the church there and we've got an event in a pub Um, it's a sort of carol service and I'm going to be speaking. Uh, I'm nervous because I'm going into a place uh, I don't know very well, a ton of people I don't know, it's never easy speaking in a live situation like a pub. I long to share with them the gospel of salvation, the gospel of peace And I have to remember on Thursday night, the power is in the word of God that is shared with them. Not in my ability to connect with them as I speak, not in being funny, not in anything else. I've got to trust that the word of God is powerful. Perhaps you could pray that I would trust that this Thursday. And I'll pray for each of you this Christmas as you seek to reach out with the word of God that you and I would trust that that is where the power is. Okay, well, what's the significance of all of this? Paul says, the significance of the armour... Comes when we take them together. Because what he's saying when he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, is he's saying, clothe yourself in Christ. Grab hold of the victory that he's won for you. Well, how do we do that? Just as we come to a close, the, the last few verses, again, are not a throwaway line. Have a look down at 18 to 20. Because Paul's challenge to you and I is pray and keep on praying you see in verse 18 you get that phrase all three times in all situations pray 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 prayer has to be the bedrock of the christian life and that's why one of our values as a church is being prayer dependent we can't do it on our own and where it says here in chapter 6 verse 18 pray in the spirit what that's saying is god will guide us as we pray god will encourage us as we pray And God will change us as we pray. Here's something for you to think about. How you pray and what you pray is very important. But it's never as important as what you are when you pray. Let me say that again. How you pray and what you pray is important. But it's never as important as what you are when you pray. Because when we equip ourselves, when we clothe ourselves in this armor, it's not just some mechanical act that I do. Just like praying is some mechanical act that I do. It's actually an expression of our dependence on God. Prayer is the most wonderful privilege. And what God does in our hearts as we pray, as we fully depend on him, is something far more powerful. So don't need to be so worried about what you're praying and how you're praying. Be more concerned about your heart as you pray. Because a person who comes to God with their arms open totally dependent on him spirit empowered as we've been thinking another value that is a person who will have true power and i love the fact that paul the great paul but look at verse 19 the great paul even is wise enough to know his own need he says pray for me also he's not just giving a command to the people he's saying i need this too every christian leader needs this pray for me too so pray friends pray and keep on praying and then verses 21 and 22. Second thing, encourage each other. Do you see Tychicus there, verse 21? Tychicus was one of the guys who travelled with Paul, he helped Paul, he's probably the person who brought this letter to Ephesus in the first place. And Paul commends him here, at the end of the letter, for being a faithful gospel worker and a faithful encourager. Would someone be able to look at you and say of you what Paul said of Tychicus, That you are a faithful servant, and an encourager. Can I encourage you for all that you do to serve Christ in the church, in your homes, in your workplaces? Can I encourage you, keep going. You're doing a great job. It's a great privilege to be part of a group leading you. Can I encourage you to keep going? Because when you do, and we'll close on this prayer, verse 23 and 24, you will know the peace and love of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, and you will know his grace and be able to cling to that every day and only then will you be able to love Jesus Christ with an undying love do you know in the book of Revelation where God gives a vision to John it's the last book of the Bible in chapter 2 a letter is given to be read in Ephesus and God says to the Ephesian church this same church just a few years later he says to them I want to commend you for your faithfulness for your hard work and your perseverance. And I bet if, I pray if God was to look at this church, he'd say, Long Crendon, I want to encourage you for your hard work and your perseverance. But do you know what he said to the church in Ephesus? But this one thing I've got against you, you have forsaken your first love. May we be a church that treasures the Lord Jesus Christ and clings to him whatever the devil throws at us. Because if we do, we will be completely secure. I do you just take a moment of quiet to reflect on all that God has been saying to you this morning and I'll close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, so often we feel weak. We feel that we can't do it. But thank you for the amazing truth that when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he he will hold me fast. Lord, we pray for each other that we would know your grace this morning. And I pray for each person here that we would know the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we would love you with an undying love. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus.
0: Amen.